This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. Well, there's a a story about a duke and a duchess, and they owned a very large estate, and they had a huge staff to care for it. Well, one day, the duchess decided uh, that she would get an accounting from all of her servants, and and, and just, just to see what everybody did, and so she called them into the room one by one, and and uh, after several hours of interviews, an old man walked in, and uh, the duchess looked at her roster and said, oh, let me see here, you've been with us 30 years, haven't you? Yes, ma'am, I have. She looked at the roster again, she said, According to this, you were hired to care for the dog. Yes, ma'am. But the dog's been dead for 23 years. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Well, what do you have to say for yourself? Is there anything else you'd like me to do? (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Have you you ever felt that way or, or noticed people that just didn't want to be noticed? that uh, hiding in the wings, hoping that nobody, nobody will, will see them. You know, I, I sometimes wonder uh, if that's why people sit in the back pews first, you know, just, just so that they will, oh, hi, Graham, see you in the back there, good, okay, I noticed you, okay. <laughs> that, you know, sometimes, you know, maybe they fear that if my, the preacher's gaze lingers long enough in their direction, they at least have 20, 20 yard head start out the door, you know. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I haven't noticed that happening here, which is delightful. But uh, every so often you encounter that. There, there's that experience of hesitation or reluctance. Uh, anybody ever been in a classroom of kids? You've done, you ask, I've, I've taught courses before, and so you ask a question, and all of a sudden, the most esoteric things become so interesting, you know? All of a sudden, you know, they're looking up, contemplating how a fly gets off the ceiling. <laughs> does it just kind of drop, or does it spring off like a diver, or does it do barrel rolls? Like, this becomes all important and engrossing when you don't want to be noticed. Reluctance. And so part of me wonders, what is behind that? What's behind this sense of reluctance? It could be that folks can't find any more room on their plate to do something else. It could be that, uh, that other folks have a sense of inadequacy, you know, about what might be asked of them. You know, maybe somewhere along the way they heard a glib comment, you know, that kind of cut them off at the knees. It happens, you know. You "You call this a potluck? I've seen better organized riots. (laughs) You know, oh, so they want you (laughs) to teach Sunday school. Uh Uh-huh. Or sometimes it's just a, ah, Hmm. You know, and, it, it's, and there's this look in there that said, you know, they said the same thing about the Titanic. 
and a part of you believes it. You think, oh, they're right. You know, if I'm, if I'm a part of this, I'll just sink the whole program, you know? And that's what happens. And pretty soon we start to assume the bearing that the world wants to put us in. We slouch. We, we give in and we slouch to the posture of the defeated and the insignificant, believing the worst about ourselves. And I don't know why we do that. Do you? You know, do you remember Robert Fulgham? He, he wrote several books. The first one that really made him very um, uh, well-known was All I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. You know, and that, that made all the rounds for quite a while. And then he wrote a book about it. And in the book, he talks about an experience of interviewing um, uh, or, or, or his experience on a college campus. And uh, he then compared that visit with the visit he did to a kindergarten. And he says, you go to a kindergarten class and you ask, how many of you can draw? And every hand goes up. Okay, good. They can all draw. You ask them, what can you draw? And they said, anything, you name it, we'll draw it for you. He says, well, you ask him how many of them can sing. Again, all hands go up. Of course we can sing. Well, what can you sing? We'll sing anything. What if you don't know the words? We'll make them up. <laughs> yes. How many of you can dance? All hands go up. What kind of music do you like to dance to? It doesn't matter. Well, we'll, we'll dance. Any kind. Right here. Sure. Why not? We'll dance right here in the church if you want us to. Yes, we will. Their answer, that has to do with anything about possibility and confidence um, is always yes. Always yes. They are eager to learn. They are confident in spirit. They believe that everything is still possible for them. Maybe this is why Jesus says, for such is the kingdom of heaven. That's why, that's one of the reasons why I think having children in worship is so important because our children teach us what it's like to be in the kingdom. And so important. It's so important to learn what that openness is about. Well, Fulgham goes on to say, you go to a college audience and you ask them the very same questions. Do you draw? Do you dance? Do you sing? Do you paint? And he says, only the smallest percentage of hands will go up timidly. And most of them will want to qualify it, saying, well, I only play the piano or um, I, I don't do anything else. I don't sing. Or if I draw, it's just with pastels. You know, and, and it's just so qualified. And why this limitation? He says the college student answer is, I'm not talented, or I'm majoring in another subject. And Fulgham asks, what happened between kindergarten and college? And he says that somewhere along the way, the world gave them a message, and the message was, this is your niche. Stay in it. And that's it. 
And how many of us in our lives have defined ourselves by niches? How many times have we asked somebody, what is your niche? We say it this way. We say, well, what do you do? Oh, I am the... Uh, versus, oh, to put food on the table, I'm a carpenter. But I really like to dance, you know? <clears throat> we, we've confined ourselves. And I sometimes wonder if all of these little messages that we receive, you know, when we try to do something outside of the niche... You know, I wonder if these little messages say, no, 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 stop it, 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 no. It's like a little link. It's like a little link that just clips on. And then pretty soon, the more we believe it, the heavier the link. And we keep clipping these links onto us. And it bends us over, and we're looking like Marley's ghost wrapped in these chains. You have to shuffle to walk, stooped over from the weight. It is a depressing destiny. And then we have a story. Jesus. Jesus was teaching in a synagogue. And in shuffles a woman all stooped over. And the way Luke tells it, you'd think that she showed up late. You know, probably after the greeting and the announcements, you know, um, maybe slipping in at, at the last stanza of the first hymn, you know. And she sits in the back pew. The way he describes her, you know, I don't think we're supposed to get too medical about it, you know, about her condition. The thing is, we don't know what it is that caused her to bend over. Was it osteoporosis? Was it arthritis? We don't know. And I think if we were to linger on the medical diagnosis, we would miss the point. I mean, as a, fact, a matter of fact, we can't look at her condition from a Western medical perspective simply because our scientific viewpoint was totally alien to that culture. The biblical view of health is different from our model of physiological functionality. Poor health or disease is what keeps us from being able to do stuff. Curing occurs simply on the physical level so you can get back up and doing again. But health in the Bible has a broader meaning. It is more like um, the way the World Health Organization uh, describes health. It says health is a complete or a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely an absence of disease or infirmity. That's a great definition, because it broadens the scope. It broadens the scope. Health extends just beyond, like I say, the mechanical biology of the matter. It includes our relationships and, and, and the, our living environment. You can be as healthy as an ox, but if you are in a situation where you are abused or degraded or, or, or beaten down in spirit, that's an unhealthy situation. When it comes to health, then, we need more 
than just a cure. We need healing. We cure a disease, but we heal an illness. And healing encompasses a broader aspect of living. It's not just that uh, the doctor treats the disease. It's not, it's not just about how a doctor treats the disease, but also how people react to the one who is ill. You know, think about 20, 30 years ago, how people reacted to AIDS patients. It was awful, absolutely awful. You know, John Pilch, who's a biblical scholar, says that healing essentially involves the dimension of personal and social meaning for the life problems that accompany the illness. So it's much broader. It's much broader. Healing restores the person to a proper state of being and not just the ability to function. They're treating as a human being, not their disease. So when a woman, when that woman walked into church that day, she wasn't suffering, I think, from a chronic crick in the back. It was a health issue that was much broader in sense. It was something, there was something more that was weighing her down. Her illness was in spirit, and Luke says as much. He says that she had a spirit <laughs> that was crippling her. And we can say, oh, that's superstition, or maybe there's something else going on here. We are led to assume that it was a demon uh, because Jesus says Satan had bound her for 18 years. But, you know, the miracle is fuzzy here. Did you notice what the miracle was about? You know, Jesus does not perform an exorcism. You know, there, there, there's no falling and writhing on the ground that you find in some of the other healing stories. The spirit doesn't fly out into some unexpecting pig or anything like that. She simply bent over, not drawing any attention to herself. But Jesus notices that and sees through the self-effacement that's happening. And then he says something really, really peculiar. It's so peculiar that this is the only place, only healing story that Jesus uses this word. And he says to her, woman, you are set free. And it's the, the Greek term that's used here is in reference to setting free a prisoner. You know, somebody who's been locked up or, or bound up in chains or something. You are set free. This is the only time that Jesus uses um, language like this to heal somebody. Beth, I'm going to let you do your thing. So, uh, so when we read this story, this is more than just a curing story. It's a liberation story. Her illness extended beyond the physiology, but to the imprisoning social structure in which she lived. A structure that said, um, that degraded women, treated them as property. Did, did you notice that, by the way? It, it was really, really very subtle in there. But the Pharisees, they wanted to argue the fourth commandment. You know, don't heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus, 
refers to a later commandment about an ox and a donkey. And it says, if you can have compassion and, and take your animal to drink water, don't you think it is fully appropriate to have this woman who's been bound for 18 years to be set free? This is another one of those how much more so <laughs> stories. How much more? Because, you know, and then he refers to the oxen, the donkey. You know what those were? Property. Property. Where women were property, right? <laughs> Jesus is so cool here. I mean, he doesn't call her property. He says, but she who is a daughter of Abraham. Boom. Congratulations, no longer property. You are a human being, free, chosen, loved, and she is your sister. Oh, you children of Abraham. Yes, a child of God. And Jesus is bestowing humanity and dignity upon her. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I think the point is that we are defined by the love and grace of God. That's what shapes us. That's what tells us who we are. And it's so hard to hear. Jesus said that Satan had bound her too, and I find it really interesting uh, because Satan in the Bible is referred to as the father of lies. And I can't help but wonder if this is what was used to bind that poor woman. Lies, each link, a chain that, that bound her, each link saying, you're no good, you can't do that, you're too slow, you're too dumb, you're inferior. I mean, you can't sing, dance, draw, shut up, nobody wants to listen to you. All of those falsehood links. And she believed it, and each link bending, crippling her down for years. And Jesus says, guess what? It's not true. It's not true. Don't believe it. What you've heard about yourself for all these years is wrong. They're lies. You are good. You are somebody, somebody special. You are a glorious child of God, and you can do incredible, amazing, extraordinary things. You can sing. You can draw. You can dance. It doesn't matter what kind of music it is. Let's dance right here in church. Right here, sure, why not? We'll dance right here if you want to. Why? Because you are set free. The dance I think Jesus would recommend <laughs> is the hokey pokey. That's right. It's simple, it's fun, a child can do it, and there's something gospel-ish about it because it's where you put your whole self in and you shake it all about. You just shake off those, those disingenuous links and they're going to pour off like rain. You do the hokey pokey and you, oh, turn yourself around because that's what it's all about. Jesus tells us that we are defined by God's love and love that tells us the truth about who we are. Just imagine, just imagine if word gets out. <laughs> I mean, people will start walking taller. A little bounce in their step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, corporate executives will be taking crayons and drawing smiley faces on pie charts. Yeah. 
And gangs will be having barbecues instead of turf wars. They'll be drive-by huggings. <laughs> Policemen will pull people over to give them tickets to the ball. It's great. Can't you see it dancing in the aisles of church? But they'll think we're Pentecostal. That's all right. It's all right because we're free. So stand up. Don't slouch. Just dance because you are a child of God. Therefore, freedom, truth, and life are your destiny. Let's stand. Let's dance. And I think the kids are going to help us out here. Yay!